0: Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there.
1: The punishment or the reward, if the punishment is severe enough or the reward is juicy enough, can buy one thing, temporary compliance at enormous cost.
0: You're listening to The Mindful Mama Podcast, episode number 259. Today we're talking about unconditional parenting with Alfie Cohn. Welcome to The Mindful Mama Podcast, now with over a million downloads. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast, my friend. I'm so glad you're here. It's great to connect with you again. And if you're new, of course, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm I'm so excited for today's conversation. We're going to be talking to Alfie Cohn, He is legendary. He's the author of 14 books on education, parenting, and human behavior, including Unconditional Parenting and Punished by Rewards. He lives actually in Boston and virtually at AlfieCone.org. but we're going to be talking about unconditional love. And, you know, we can agree, right? This is what kids need most. Children really need unconditional love, yet we don't often realize the ways in which we are actually very conditional in our parenting, which is not only bad for kids, but it's really counterproductive. So... Alfie Cohen's going to give us some insights into our own assumptions and our intentions for kids. So the sound quality of this episode can be a little challenging, but the content of what he says is so valuable that I encourage you to stick it through all the way to the end because we're going to talk about how we're trained by society to be conditional in our parenting. Like this is, this is how we're trained. How punishments and rewards actually lead to more manipulative, self-interested kids. Eek! And we're going to talk about time out and Alfie calls it the ultimate in conditional parenting so this may be a bit of a controversial episode so check it out all the way to the end and i'm trying to think if we have any other announcements here we've been having some amazing wins in the mindful parenting community we have a skills practice session every month so we're working on our communication skills specifically every month, interactively with each other, which is really cool. The community is getting stronger and tighter every day. It's very, very cool. So if you want to learn more about what's going on there, go to mindfulmamamentor.com and you'll see how you can work with me there. And uh, I think that's all I have to say about it. Let's dive into this conversation with Alfie Cohn. Alfie, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast
1: happy to
0: be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you and I'm I'm really excited to talk about unconditional parenting and and um I'm I'm curious about sort of like how you got into these things but first I want to start out with like you you describe a situation when your daughter was 4 and how she she has this like you know what what parents would describe as like as a big fit at bedtime and she you mm-hmm. know she doesn't want to tr- you know either brush her teeth or, or whatever, take a bath, whatever it was, and you talk about this question of once things come down, should you have proceeded with the normal routine of snuggling with her and reading a story together, and you talk about sort of the two options, the idea of conditional parenting and the idea of unconditional parenting, so I would love if you could kind of describe those and and what are what are most often when, when we come into this without questioning it, what are... What our assumptions are?
1: Well, the the basis of that book is that it's not enough just to love our children or even to love them a lot. What they need is to be loved um, unconditionally, which is to say with no strings attached, loving them for who they are, not for what they do. Love must never be seen as... Uh, something they have to earn as though it's transactional. Unfortunately, most of us have grown up in a society where we're trained to be conditional, to say you have to do this to get that, as if it was um, some sort of uh, economic transaction and and thus a lot of people from that old school would say no uh, you don't get to snuggle with me I don't I'm not going to give you my time, my acknowledgement, my approval, my care um, my proximity when you have acted badly because that will just reinforce your bad behavior. So I'm gonna withdraw my love from you until you've earned your way back into my good graces by jumping through my hoops. And this, this says a lot about the kind of people and their personalities who believe this, um, but it also turns out to be deeply counterproductive because it's when kids are having trouble it's when they're being difficult because that's the only way they can say, I'm in trouble, I need help, I need you, that we most ought to provide them with our support. That's not to say that anything goes. It doesn't mean that we don't address with them at a calm moment what led to the way they acted that we see as problematic. But it means there must always be this undercurrent of of acceptance, of this this certainty on their part. And it's their perception that matters, not our beliefs about what we do. Their perception that even when I've done something really bad, mommy or daddy will never pull away from me, will always be there to snuggle with me, to read the story, to say, I care because care that has to be earned isn't worthy of being called care.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Well, there's a a couple of things I'd love to talk about in there, but I'm curious about, I love that idea that, I mean, that we optimally would give kids like, and even though I'm like being, you know, I'm having a really difficult time and I'm shrieking or whatever, then even then, um, I can get close to mommy or daddy. But what happens if mommy or daddy is, not gen- is feeling really triggered by this moment and is having a real hard time themselves? And it, the last thing the parent wants to do is get close to their child. What, what, do, you, what do you offer in those moments?
1: Well, I think we need to get over it, frankly. I mean, our needs and our hurts obviously matter. I'm not suggesting that we be selfless or that we can put aside everything, all the buttons in us that are pushed. But having a child obligates us to deal with that stuff later and to make sure that we don't, that we're not so thin-skinned, that we're not so... A tenuous in our emotional state, that we give our child the sense that he or she is loved only conditionally because we have to take loads of time to work that out. I mean, there may be the occasional moment when we say, especially to an older child who can understand this, right now I'm just so upset that I need to go off for a while and calm down and cool off and think about this. Um, better that than I say or do something that I'll regret. But if you find yourself having to do that a lot, it's time to deal with your problems so you can be the kind of parent your child needs, which is someone who doesn't pull away in that sense figuratively or literally. Because when we do pull away, when children get the sense that I have to please or impress my parent in order to be loved, then the child feels um, not only unloved, but unlovable, and begins to internalize that sense of, I am good, I am lovable only when I'm when I hide my anger or sadness, when I am well-behaved, when I'm smart or pretty or funny or thin or whatever. Any conditions placed on self-acceptance are the results of conditions placed on parental acceptance. And that is the very opposite of what kids need uh, to flourish.
0: I couldn't agree with it you more and i i really appreciate the like direct way you say that this because you know you can extrapolate directly what, from what you're describing i'm only lovable if to you know 90% of the problems we all have as adults so yep. i'm yep. wondering i'm wondering for you is this the way you, that you were raised were your parents um the sort of like rare Unconditional, unconditionally loving parents uh, of your parents'
1: generation. Um, I'm not so much interested in being autobiographical here because I don't think my own situation is necessarily translatable to other people. I'm, I'm much happier to talk with you about the ideas in my books than to, you know, describe my own personal history. So I prefer to talk about unconditionality as something. Most of us, you know, as parents, as people um, strive, ought to strive for, even though we won't always be there, we won't always get it, but at least we should know that's, that's the objective, that's, that's where we should be as much as we can and do everything we can uh, to provide kids with that, uh, which is a tough call for those of people who didn't feel unconditionally accepted as children yeah. and have to learn to, in effect, as one writer, somebody who wrote, wrote me a letter a while ago after that book came out, I've, uh, why did I even read your book when I don't have kids? Because I have to learn to reparent myself. and, mm. But here's the key. Most people would nod along and, of course, say, yes, 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 I want to... Uh, I love my children unconditionally more than anything, but here's why it's important to realize that the vast majority of parenting advice tells us to do exactly the opposite of that. It tells us, for example, um, when your kid does something bad, give them a time out, which is the ultimate in conditionality. In fact, within the professional literature in psychology, timeout is filed under conditional parenting or acceptance. It says that your child is going to be forced, is going to be forcibly isolated from you, physically and in effect, than emotional, until the child you deign to let the child back, because the child can now be in your company again and a young child will almost inevitably experience that as the love having been turned off especially for children who don't know because they're not old enough to make sense of this of when this will happen again it's a very cruel punishment and yet it's offered to us by pediatricians and some and some psychologists as you know better than spanking kids which You know, I'm sure it's true in the same way that spanking kids is better than shooting them, but it's not much of an argument for that. The the real choice is if, if somebody says to you, don't spank your child, give them a time out," I would run in the other direction from that person saying, this is somebody whose only two options are to make children deliberately unhappy, either by hurting them physically or hurting them emotionally. Surely I can find somebody with more options. And, you know, the other, the flip side of timeout, and the other, you know, absolutely perfect example of conditional parenting is praise, what I like to call verbal doggy biscuits. Good job. I really like the way you, I mean, this is saying to kids, you get my excitement, my smile, my thumbs up, my approval, only when you've earned it. So the real opposite of praise is not criticism. It's giving children the message that they don't have to earn our excitement, approval, acknowledgement, attention, and so on.
0: We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math mysteries about true histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend you check it out to listen to. Understood explains. Just search for understood explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood explains. Absolutely, uh, I couldn't agree. I mean, it's more. I mean, this this idea that you know we we come from we come from this place of love, right? And so we have this, see, we have this fear that we, you know, we want our children to be well-adjusted, happy members of society. And so that way that, you know, according, you know, that happened for us in, in some ways was, was this, uh, was this conditionality and, you know, but the problems, uh, you know, you, you, point out of positive, Positive reinforcement too. It's it's this is a problem with judgment, right? Like you have to. Yeah, I'm the judge and the jury, and you have to earn my earn my approval, etc. Right.
1: Praise is not encouragement. Praise is judgment, and that's not what kids need to be evaluated by us. The fact that it happens to be a positive judgment isn't that relevant. It's the fact that it's a judgment. You know, if kids are getting unconditional support from us and loving guidance then a patronizing pat on the head when they please us is is not necessary and and if they're not getting unconditional love from us then praise isn't going to help
0: yeah yeah so so what so the the listener hearing this saying, oh my goodness, you know, okay, so, well, what do I do when my my five year old is hitting my three year old, and you know, I've got to let them know that this is not an okay behavior in in my house. What what do you what do you say for that parent?
1: What matters more than that hitting another? person, such as a sibling, is is unacceptable, is why hitting somebody is unacceptable. If you punish a child with a timeout, a spanking, harsh words, loss of a privilege, whatever, then the child learns that the reason you don't hit is because you personally are going to suffer if someone who has more power than you doesn't approve. That's the only message. Anytime you use any kind of punitive consequence, and the word consequence is just a euphemism for punishment, for making children deliberately unhappy. What that teaches is power. You have the power, the other person doesn't. And someday this kid thinks, I'm gonna be the one with the power and I can make other people be unhappy to make them do what I want. And the other thing that punitive consequences teach Um, is self-interest. So the message of every punitive consequence, every you've lost dessert, you have to go to your room, you're grounded, you know, or again, even, even being yelled at. The message there is I have to do what this person wants or I'm going to suffer, that child now has just been arrested in his or her moral development and is perhaps even more likely to hit the sibling if he thinks he can get away with it because the parent isn't looking. That's not a child who's diabolically clever and needs more monitoring or even cleverer punishments. That's a child who is responding rationally to the use of punishments, because that led the child to ask, what do they want me to do? And what happens to me if I don't do it? And now let me pause to say that the flip side of that, as I said before about the flip side of timeout, is. Phrase in terms of the conditionality, the flip side of punishment, do this, or here's what I'm gonna do to you, is reward of any kind. Do this and I'll you'll get that. Rewards, even if they're not, if whether they're verbal or they, you know, and it involves a sticker or a gold star or a dessert or at school, a good grade. This too teaches only self-interest. What do I have to do to get the goody? And now if you say to a child, I'm so happy you are such a generous person. Look how you gave half your cupcake to your sister. I'm so proud of you. Good job. That child just became a little more selfish, a little less concerned about the well-being of her sister and more concerned about how... I can manipulate the situation to get more of what I want. Rewards and punishments, carrots and sticks, bribes and threats, these are ways of doing things to children. And the alternative is to work with children. Now, what does that mean in a given situation? There's not going to be a one-size-fits-all if your child hits her sister, or if your child does X, whether you happen to like it or not, here's what you do. So my book, Unconditional Parenting, is not, and I will never write a book that says, here's the script, when your kid does this, you stand here and you say the following in this tone of voice. That's disrespectful to you and your children. But there, So there are all I can offer, especially to people I've never met, is broad guidelines or principles, which I try to do in the book, to think about what working with can mean, how you can describe what you see your child doing and ask questions, questions that aren't loaded where you're not sure what the answer will be, how you can help your child focus on the impact of her actions on other people, both when they've done things that are, that are mean, like hitting, and when they've done things that are sweet, like helping. The point is to help children construct a sense of themselves as caring people that will take and grow and flourish even when you're not around. So step one is getting rid of what kills that focus on other people, namely all punishments and rewards, and step two, depending on the situation and the age of the child and all the other details, is some way of help of of collaborating with the child to help him or her grow into a, a person who is genuinely concerned about others' well-being.
0: Absolutely. I think you're pointing pointing very clearly to the fact that Like not the the punishments and rewards, not only do they lead to this, you know, maybe manipulative kids being more manipulative or not focusing on other people, but they're actually just not that effective because then they're not when the punishment and reward isn't around, then it's it's not working. It's not an inside out kind of thing. And so I love this description of. Like let's join with the child. Let's understand. Let's bring this this curiosity, right? Like I teach mindfulness, and we talk a lot about curiosity. And so let's bring curiosity to what is really happening here. Understanding the roots of the behavior. So then you know teaching maybe the skills and and practice whatever that child needs to learn to to mm-hmm. to to do a little better in that situation. Uh, in, in,
1: you can the punishment or the reward. If the punishment is severe enough, or the reward is juicy enough, can buy one thing: temporary compliance at enormous cost. So, if I say, you know, you are not going to that party unless that room is 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 cleaned up within an hour, you know, you may get the room cleaned up. If you think of it this way, horizontally, if you look forward punishments and rewards don't get you something in the long run, only that temporary effect. But it's also interesting to look at it vertically, you know, with a a perpendicular arrow heading down. The problem with most advice you get that involves conditional parenting and the use of bribes and threats is that it focuses on behavior. My rule of thumb is the value of advice you get about parenting is inversely proportional to the number of times the advice contains the word behavior. (laughs) When you hear the word behavior a lot, you know there's something superficial about the understanding of of humans, um, of children, that you're hearing or reading in a book or on a website or something like that. Behavior is focused only on the stuff on the surface that you can see and maybe measure. And um, once you've framed the problem this way, how do I get my child to behave in a certain way or stop with certain behaviors? It's only a matter of a few minutes until you're gonna start hearing variations of bribes and threats as this suggestion, because that can extinguish or reinforce a behavior. But what we ought to be concerned about is what, what, what informs the behavior, the, the child's needs, motives, values, reasons. Every time you try to make a behavior appear or disappear, you're ignoring the child yeah. who engages in the behavior. And that, for that, you need a working with, as I like to say, and not a doing to.
0: Yes. 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 So you talk about in unconditional parenting, you talk about uh, the idea of control. And I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, we, uh, uh, when we're, you know, maybe as we're considering, considering parenting, we we look at kids that are, that are not acting so great in a public place. And we think, oh, I mean, at least I did. I'll just speak to myself. Like I was, I remember thinking, oh, I'm, I'm not going to, be that kind of parent. I'll have control over my child. Like this is a, a certainly a thought like that goes through the head of many, many, many of us parents that we you know and, and is this 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 idea that's reinforced by society that we should have control of our kids. Yeah. But you talk you talk a little bit about control and that this idea can be really in, insidious and, and that we need to kind of back off a little from that. So um,
1: control. Do they- First of all, we tend to think dualistically or dichotomously, um, either I have control over my kid or my kid controls me. Either I'm punitive or I'm permissive. And I try to explore that and understand that there are, there's different ways of thinking about this. There are alternatives and not just in the middle. You know, it's not just like, uh, don't be black and white, there are shades of gray. I mean, sometimes the alternative to black and white is orange. It's not just no control or a little control as opposed to a lot of control, it's why are we thinking in terms of control at all? Why are we, what are we afraid of? What lack of trust in our children or cynical belief about human nature drives our belief that unless we control our children, unless we make sure they comply with what we demand, they're gonna do terrible things. I mean, that's fascinating in terms of, some of the people who praise children constantly, often in a squeaky high pitched voice, have a very dark view of human nature, you know, because on some level they think if I don't, if I don't um, uh, praise my child when she's generous, you know, she'll never do it again, it was a fluke. Yeah, I I have to give her an artificial, extrinsic, you know, uh, reason, to keep doing it, namely to get my approval. Otherwise, she would be bad. So the more you hear, good job, you know, the more you're talking about original sin, the more you're talking about deep, often unconsidered views of darkness. So we have to control children. You know, in many families and in some subcultures, over time, there has been a move away from harsh punishments to stickers and gold stars and good jobs. And we think, yay, we're enlightened now. Well, the method has changed, but it's ultimately still attempting to impose our will on children. It's still about control and it's still about compliance. And that's why I think the fundamental shift isn't just, do I do this to my child or or do I do that? It's, What's the goal here? What's the fundamental question? And so in in my book, the fundamental question is not, how do I get my kid to dot, dot, dot. It's, what does my child need? And how can I meet those needs?
0: Yeah. Yeah, because all behavior is a reflection of some kind of meeting some kind of needs. That's why you know your child's not doing something out of the blue it's it's happening to meet some sort of needs so that we w- want to understand how to meet those needs
1: mm-hmm. uh, we we one hopes one would and that's why as opposed to just give me a give me a, a, a if you're going to take away my punishments and rewards you better give me another strategy to get my kid to eat her vegetables or clean up his room, or not embarrass me when my friends are over, or whatever. So my point is that we have to rethink the goal, not just the method. And when I do workshops with parents, and by the way, with teachers, I typically start by asking, what are your long-term goals for your child? How would you like him or her to turn out years from now? And I ask people to just reflect on that, try to come up with an adjective that reflects like an overriding objective. How do, what do I hope my kid will be? Um, and everywhere I go, I get people who, when they're asked to think about that, come up with very much the same kinds of, of responses. Not somebody who obeys authority, you know, because if, it's, if you raise your kid to do everything you tell them, you've raised a child who is fundamentally not an ethical person, <laughs> Um, not an independent thinker, but somebody who will do what a powerful person says. And that next powerful person in his or her life might be a spouse or a boss or a corporate executive or or a, a president who wants to be an autocrat and stay in office forever. You know. Um, so what I hear from people is stuff like, "Well, I'd like my child to be happy, to be moral." to be independent and self-reliant, but also caring and compassionate, to be curious, a lifelong learner. People say things like this wherever I go. And so what I do for a living in my books and lectures is to say to people, you say you want this, so why are you doing that? If those are your goals, then praise, timeouts, and other control-based parenting strategies are problematic, not just because I don't like them. Who cares if I don't like them or you don't like them? They get in the way of your own goals. you know. And here's the research to, to show you that, for example, children who are often praised are less generous than other children. I didn't make that up in the shower this morning. We've got studies that show that or, or whatever. When So I try to help people think that, In order to reach the objectives they have, the more ambitious outcomes they desire for their kids, you got to move past conditional parenting, doing to, bribes and threats, and move towards something where you're... And move past a behavior focus, you know, do something where you do a lot more asking than telling and where kids have a lot more say about their lives because kids learn how to make good decisions by making decisions not by following directions and that requires a fair amount of courage on our part not just to change what we're doing with kids but to be responsive to the needs of the kids
0: i think that what you're saying in some ways is like a great invitation to trust our kids, you know, an invitation to move into a space of trust that, you know, to move out of this space of fear that the, Uh you know, that they're going to be terrible and move into the space of trust, which is so beautiful. Um, There's so many more things I would love to ask you, but we don't have the time today. And so Hmm. I want to just thank you so very much for taking the time to come on, but also for the work that you've done, and your voice, the voice that you add to this conversation is really a very powerful one, and it and it's made ripple effects throughout the world, which I think are very very beneficial for for all of us. so I, I really appreciate uh, what you're bringing to the table, Alfie, thank
1: you. Well, I appreciate your interest in these in these ideas.
0: And so where can people find out more about you and uh, and and reach out should they want
1: to? Uh, on my website which is my name. You only have to spell it right. Alfie A L F I E Cone K O H N alfiecone.org and that has descriptions of um, all my books, including the one we've been talking about today, as well as hundreds of articles that are all freely available and uh, links to videos and other stuff like that.
0: Well, again, thank you so very much. You know, the sound quality in this of his audio wasn't great, but I love what Alfie has to say. Just such an gr- incredible, direct smart, thoughtful voice in this world. So, so interesting. So I'm curious, what are your takeaways? What are you, what is kind of ringing in your ears as you come to the end of this episode? If you could let me know by just tagging me on Facebook or Instagram, I'm at Mindful Mama Mentor. That would be great. Take a screenshot of what you're listening to and tag me in your stories so that I can hear what your takeaways are. And really if you want to, if you believe in this work, right, like this is, I really believe this is an evolution in parenting, right? This is an evolution where we're we are evolving as a as humans and we're learning better ways of interacting with each other that are so, so powerful. And if you believe in this evolution, I invite you to support it by sharing this knowledge, sharing this information. And a super easy way to do that is to just share this episode, you know, share it with other people to challenge what they're thinking. Share it with your mom and dad. See what see what your mom thinks about this. Sometimes my mom and I have an amazing conversations about this stuff that is so interesting because she listens to all the episodes. Hi, mom. Shout out. And yeah, it's a great way. You know, I, I really believe that we need to get this, start to shift the way people think person by person and you sharing with four of your friends actually really makes quite a difference. It's so, so powerful. So yeah, that would be a great, great way to support the podcast if you haven't yet or if you have. Yeah, we have some amazing episodes coming up for you and I can't wait to come back and, and talk with you again next week. I'll be back in your inbox if you are signed up for the newsletter on Tuesday morning, and the podcast will come out then too. So I cannot wait to connect with you again then. In the meantime, I am wishing you some food for thought, some more peace, some more joy, some some more self-compassion in your life, and I will be practicing it with you. Namaste.